you're a parent wondering if you're doing it right, you've come to the right place. Because in this podcast, we chat with other parents wondering the same thing. And they're about to give you permission to get creative and parent the way that works for you and your little cuties. This is Making Clemonade by Clementine Kids, and I'm your host, Danelle. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. And I feel like I'm probably going to start every episode out by saying I'm so excited about today's interview, but genuinely, I'm so happy you're joining us today, Katie. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and being here with us. Thank you. I'm excited to join in. Well, I know we've known each other for a few years and I've loved watching your family. And I know that there are families out there that can relate to some of the challenges that you've faced, but I'd love for you to go ahead and just start by introducing yourself and your family. Okay. So me and my husband met in high school and dated the tail end of high school. Um, We kept in contact while he was away and I was at college and, um, We've been married for 15 years, almost come July, and we've, we've seen it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, but um, we have a really awesome family. So we have three kids. We have um, a boy who's 11. He's, um, he's an awesome, awesome kid. And then our middle daughter is Maeve, and she just turned eight. And then our youngest is Nora, who is almost six. And then we added a puppy to the family in October and she's, she's been a ton of fun too. So I love that. That's so good. In a nutshell, we added a puppy this year too. And it's crazy what a puppy can add to your family. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It brings a lot of joy. So. Oh, I'm so glad. That's too fun. Well, you have your middle daughter, Maeve, who has been diagnosed with autism on the mm-hmm. autism spectrum. Um, and I, can you tell us a little bit about that diagnosis and what that looks like for you? I know there's a saying when you know one child with autism, you know, one child with autism. So mm-hmm. understanding that each family with a child with autism looks so different. Can you kind of give us a a snapshot of what it looks like for your family? So Maeve was born um, with some health challenges. And at about nine to 12 months, I started seeing some few, a few red flags. Um, Developmentally, there were some fine and gross motor skills that she couldn't do. Um, just, just small little things and already having a child, um, I compared and said, well, you know, she should, she should be doing this. She should be crawling. She should. Um, and so as she got older and her language wasn't developing, um, and I just start, I just started seeing more and more developmental delays compared to her peers. Um, I, eventually started seeking some help and seeking some answers and through a lot of um, advocacy on my part, switching pediatricians, um, seeing different therapists from speech to occupational therapy, um, early intervention through the school district, um, we, we didn't have a clear cut diagnosis. Um, she was about two and a half and I had a good friend who had worked with children on the spectrum for many years. 
um, come into my home and talk to me for a while and just said, well, let me, let me come over and just observe and kind of see, see Maeve in her element and the comfort of her home. And, and I mean, within minutes, she turned to me and she said, I technically don't have a degree to say she's on the autism spectrum, but from my experience working with these kids, hundred percent. And I had been doing research and the gut instinct was telling me for a while that it was something more than what other doctors and therapists were telling me. And so we eventually got her in to get evaluated and she was diagnosed um, at about age three. And the diagnosis was more on the severe end of the spectrum. And eventually, um, about two years later, we had her reassessed and we had an IQ test um, done and a whole series of evaluations. And again, she kind of hovered towards the lower end of the spectrum, meaning lower functioning. Um, she's nonverbal. Um, developmentally, she's she's probably compared to two to three year old, something she's stronger in, something she still struggles in. Um, so the initial diagnosis was pretty devastating. It didn't come as a surprise, but there was a lot of heartache that came with it. Um, I think anytime you receive life altering news, you have to sit in that grief for a minute and reevaluate all the visions and the expectations and the life that you had kind of mapped out in your head. And it, it kind of forces you to sit down and, and take a different look at your life. And it, it was hard. It was hard. And I think the grief process initially was, was really challenging. Um, thankfully we're several years past the diagnosis and our views and um, our experience with our daughter has evolved and changed. And I think there will always be little moments of, of grief or, oh, why does this have to be so challenging for her? Or, you know, we will always have those moments. But um, thankfully, we have, like I said, evolved and um, we've come to learn a lot of amazing things with this diagnosis. So initially, though, it was it was a punch to the gut. It was Absolutely. hard. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned she's nonverbal, but anybody who knows Maeve knows that she lights up when she is thrilled about something and she has the best smile. So yes. there's ways that you have found to communicate with her despite that. Mm -hmm. Can you share just a little bit about your experience in motherhood and, and what you've learned about communicating with your kids individually? 
So I always tell people for her being nonverbal, she's a pretty phenomenal communicator. Um, like you said, she lights up a room. We call her Marvelous Maeve because she just has this marvelous persona about her. Um, so we, through a lot of therapy, a lot of schooling, speech therapy, we have learned different techniques. Um, she, she does have some sign language, just simple signs. Um, she has a device that is her communication um, device that has pictures and words and the alphabet on there that she can use to communicate her needs. We did the picture exchange communication system or PECS for a long time. And we still bring that into, um, into the picture every once in a while. Um, but here at home and just day-to-day -day life when she's not working hard with a therapist or at school, her body language says a lot and she points and she takes us to what she needs. And we've all just kind of learned, you know, what she wants and what she needs and what mood she's in. And so, um, it's been, it's been a test of patience. I think that's probably one of the hardest part parts of her diagnosis is, the lack of communication can be really frustrating, not only for her, but for us when we just genuinely do not know what she needs. Mm. Um, but it's also made us look at other ways to communicate. And I'm a big believer in the love languages. And I've applied that to my two other kids too. And, um, you know, Maeve's, Maeve's form of communication and how she gets, gets her um, love language filled or her bucket filled is quality time. And even though she can't talk to us, she loves sitting next to someone watching her favorite show and she engages with you and she points to the show and, or we love going on bike rides and it's just the best experience just being with her on a bike cruising around the neighborhood. Um, and so for my other kids, you know, we've had to kind of learn what are their love languages? What are their communication needs? How do they best communicate? And yeah, it's definitely different with each kid. And, and sometimes it even changes depending on what age they're at, but um, yeah. So for Maeve, we've, we've learned a lot of different tactics in how to get her to communicate and feel like she's empowered to communicate um, the best that she can and that the best that we can understand with being so limited with her language. I love that. And we, we talked earlier and you had mentioned that you really do try to give her a voice mm -hmm. and, and empower her to make her own decisions. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, I think, um, especially in the special needs community with those who aren't vocal for themselves or might not have the um, cognitive ability to speak up for themselves. 
there is a natural tendency to want to speak for them or make decisions for them. Um, and I'm seeing a little bit of an evolution occur within that community and more and more people are getting behind the movement of they do have a voice instead of trying to change the school system or change this or that, like figure out what it is that they want to see change. Um, I saw a beautiful documentary years ago on Netflix and I wish I could remember the name, but it was of a severely autistic girl um, who eventually learned how to type on a computer and could beautifully type full sentences. And she described her experience of her mind was clear, her mind could understand, but she was like a lion trapped in a cage. Wow. And it was, it was fascinating for the family to learn that all these years, she was completely coherent, completely understanding of what was going on, what was being said about her, what, what decisions were being made for her. And they felt so liberated and she felt so liberated once she finally could tap into this type of voice for herself and speak up for herself. And it was just, it really was like a riveting moment um, for Chase and I, my husband and I both to say, wow, we need to do a better job of asking her more often what she needs, what she wants, instead of just assuming, or we've tried to be really good about like giving her choices as simple as like, do you want to wear this shirt or this shirt? Do you want to eat this cereal or this? Um, and letting her have that voice. And it's, it's been really fun to see how, how it gives her this sense of value and this sense of um, kind of pride that she has a voice and we're not perfect at it, but I think it's, it's important. And I think it's, um, it definitely has changed how she communicates more with us in that, like, no, I can make a decision. Just give me the tools to make that decision, narrow down the field of choices and help me that can help me decide. But yeah, it's so really it's really cool to think mm -hmm. about. And even as a parent of a neurotypical child, I feel like that's helpful for me to rem to remind myself that my child still needs to be able to make choices and still mm -hmm. can add value that way. And I, I think that sometimes in the busy parent world, we do just, it's faster to make decisions for our kids or, yes. or just to assume we know what they need, but to, to really give them that voice. And, and you had talked earlier um, when you had mentioned that you had to really be from day one, you had to be an advocate for Maeve. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I can, I've, I've understood that a lot of families dealing with children with special needs, they, they oftentimes get into that rut where, where they have to be that advocate. Nobody else is going to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on being an advocate. Yeah. So I think I learned pretty quickly 
after she was initially diagnosed that although it was hard having the diagnosis, I just, I, I kind of felt a sense of relief in, in a way that we finally had like a concrete name for, for all of her challenges. And I felt like we had direction and it was like, okay, we finally can like move in a direction. And so it was like, all right, we have this diagnosis. Okay. Now, now let's look into schooling that makes sense for her. Now let's look into ABA therapy and all these different things to give her the best chance for progress. And so that was really empowering for me initially. Um, But I, I just remember I didn't really know anyone in this community at that time. I mean, I knew of a few people who had kids on the spectrum, but I just, both of our families, either side had never dealt or, or experienced someone with special needs that, that hit so close to home. Mm. And so I did feel kind of like that lone person on an island and you want to advocate and get, I mean, just give your child the world and the best possible chance for success. And I remember reaching out to strangers and just saying, can I call you? Can you please just help me just point me in the right direction? Who do I need to call? How do I get this ball rolling? And I did come across some good resources over the years. Um, The Utah Parent Center was awesome to work with. And Eventually, you know, I started joining Facebook groups and different things. Um, But I learned, like I said, I learned really quickly that once she was diagnosed, it's not like you have this social worker that shows up at your door and is like, okay, I'm here for you. What do we need to do? Let me make phone calls. Let me fill out hundreds of pages of paperwork Mm -hmm. in anything you do. I really had to dig my heels in and say, the only way I'm going to get Maeve what she needs is if I speak up and I'm the advocate for her. I am her voice and we will do all that we can to get her the best resources, the best way we know how. And so it was a lot of work. I think um, a lot of parents could agree in the special needs community It's just, everything is that much more challenging. Um, For Maeve, in addition to her autism diagnosis, she was also eventually diagnosed with epilepsy. And she also has some other health challenges. And so, I mean, going to a regular pediatrician wouldn't cut it. We had to get someone who had a better understanding of the spectrum. We couldn't, we can't just go to a dentist. We have to go to a children's hospital hospital because she has to be fully sedated to get dental work. So it's just, it's been this learning process of it's not any like simple things that I can do with my other kids or other neurotypical children or kids can do so easily and, you know, take for granted, quite honestly, it's just a lot harder. Um, But I'm willing to put in the work and any parent of any type of child is willing to put in the work for their child, you know, because we love them and 
we're their advocates. And so um, that was a huge takeaway for me. And even to this day, I feel like even recently, it's, you know, going to her IEP meetings and really fighting for what she needs in a school setting and looking at, okay, what's going on in the community? How come there aren't um, athletic programs or after-school programs for these types of kids who need a little extra, but they're still worth participating in these things? Those things aren't out there. Well, they're not going to be handed to you unless you're willing to figure to something put in out. The work. Yeah. And, Which I and know create you've something put in. or <laughs> you have, you've done that. Why don't you share like what you, what you are creating right now? Well, so I grew up dancing my whole life, um, danced competitively, did high school drill, danced up in college at Utah state and taught for a lot of years. So dance is ingrained in me. It's a love of mine. And of course, stereotypical mom, when you have a girl, you're stoked for your tiny little dancer one day. And I knew with Maeve, it would look different. And my youngest daughter dances and it's wonderful. And it's, 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 given me that opportunity to have that experience, which I treasure. Um, But for Maeve, it's different. And I just remember even a couple years ago, looking into swimming lessons or looking into this or that or the other. Again, it wasn't easy. It was always just like that much harder and that much more advocacy work or speaking up or how come you guys aren't doing this in your school or how come... Um, And so I had kind of this idea in the back of my head, probably three or four years ago, where it was the very first dance recital of my youngest daughter. And we were sitting in the audience and Maeve was sitting there with us and we weren't sure how she would do at the recital. She's a wanderer. She kind of darts off all the time. And so we were a little nervous, but you know, we knew she loved dancing at home and we, she loves music. And so it was the very first recital and we're all sitting there and I have this video of her and she is just beaming. And she, every time a dance ends, she's clapping and then she's signing more, 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 please, 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 more, please. And my husband and I just I mean, it almost brought me to tears. It was so magical. And then after the recital ended and the curtain fell, she went up on the stage as everyone's exiting the auditorium. And she just was beside herself, pure joy up there on the stage. And I just, I had a moment where I knew I needed to provide this opportunity for her in some way, shape or form. And I didn't know how, um, but slowly over the past couple of years and with some recent job changes that I've done and had, um, I just took on a dance director position at a local gym. And I said, the only way I'm taking this job on is I, I I have one 
uh, what's the word? Um, caveat or condition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that is that we have to, we have to offer an adaptive dance class that I will teach. And of course, um, they were hundred percent on board. They loved the idea. And so we are in the early stages of getting it planned and, um, getting the word out, but I, I just cannot wait for the opportunity, not only to give these beautiful people the chance to be seen and the chance to experience the joy of music and dance in a judgment-free environment, but I also look forward to the day where they can perform and share their light with an audience and I just, I just know that it will forever change all those involved. And I'm so excited to do oh, it. I have like goosebumps over <laughs> my whole body. And as you were talking about um, Maeve going up there on the stage, I remembered for Christmas a couple years ago, you guys built her a platform stage for yes. your home. My brother did. I had this idea and she's kind of tricky because she doesn't like typical toys or play with them as you would want her to play with them. She likes different things. So we're always having to get really creative in what we gift her for birthdays and Christmas and whatnot. And so I had this idea of, I'm like, she just needs a stage. And I kind of girl just, needs to be, you know, seen. <laughs> girlfriend, girlfriend needs a curtain and lights and music and a stage and a tutu and she's set for life. And so I kind of had ideas of how to create it. And, um, my brother, Matt is a phenomenal woodworker and, um, does a lot of stuff with CAD and engineering and, he was like, let me do it. He's like, I want to whip this up. And so I thought I would get involved. I thought, okay, well, here's some ideas that I'm liking. And it was and getting close to Christmas. <laughs> yes. It was getting close to Christmas. And I was like, I don't really have much for Maeve. Like I have a microphone and maybe some clothes, but I'm like, I, that's her gift. And I'm like, Hey, how's it coming? Can I come down? Can I help? And he, I finally took a hint that he like, this was His something project. he wanted to do. And he was so excited to surprise us with this. So he delivered this darling stage with led lights and a big star on the center of it. Um, on Christmas Eve, a couple oh years ago. Oh my gosh. And, what a good surprise. And to this day, I kid you not to this day, she dances on her little stage every single day. It's the best. You know, I think everyone so, needs a stage they I know. Can put in their house. <laughs> we all need a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. that is so wonderful. So, I mean, to go back to the advocacy, uh, idea, it, it, you know, you have to be the best advocate for your child. Neurotypical, not, not neurotypical, um, no matter what your child's needs are, you have got to speak up. You have got to put in the work to see change. If you want change to happen. Um, I recently joined forces with a lot of other families in Utah, in the special needs community, um, to see some change, like decisions reversed, um, in a school district that was trying to remove, uh, special needs life skill classrooms from the schools and the peer mentoring programs. And boy, 
it took just some mama bears and papa bears rallying together and saying, this is not okay. And the community support was huge. And people said, no, we need these beautiful kids in our schools. We need the peer mentorship program. This changes lives. And I mean, thankfully, I think it was under a week, the decision was reversed. And it really empowered not only me, but I think it empowered a lot of parents to say, wow, okay, we actually do have a voice. Yeah. And um, so they started this whole account called We All Belong Utah, and it's grown really fast. And they're like, okay, one, one item of business down, check. Now let's move on and say, okay, this was a very specific case to a certain school district, very specific schools, but I'm up here saying like, whoa, whoa, wait, no, there's a lot of reform that needs to happen where I'm located. Yeah. Statewide. And from, and from what I've seen in my experience with my daughter, because we've, we've kind of done different things along her educational path. And so that again was just kind of another awesome experience to be a part of to say, okay, rally together, whether it's just you and your partner, whether it's you and your community members, those teachers and aides at the schools, whoever it is coming together, your voice is coming together it's, it, it creates momentum and it's really powerful. And so I've kind of been riding this wave of momentum. (laughs) Like it's been kind of fun the last couple, um, a month or two to just see some really cool things happening. And it's all because to be a part of it. Yeah. It's all because people spoke up and they're like, no, this is not okay. Things need to change. And our voices were heard. So that's definitely something that has evolved over the years. I think, um, I think initially, um, especially right after Maeve was diagnosed and we were like in the thick of it and learning so much at the time, we were really protective of her and I never shied away from addressing that she had autism and she was on the spectrum. I, I'm not one who, I don't mind the label quite honestly, but we were protective of her. We were careful where we took her. Um, you know, we were always methodical about every single thing that we did going to the store, going to church, going to the park, anything. We just had to think through everything and we still do for the most part but it was all about, okay, is she going to stay safe? Are we going to stay safe? Are we going to like pull our hair out by trying to attempt to do this? But, so we kind of created this shelter around her and we were really careful with how she engaged with the community and with family. And we were more concerned about keeping others comfortable. Hmm. And I think the beautiful evolution that has occurred over the years and a lot of the hard lessons we have learned, we're less worried about keeping others comfortable and we want them to experience and to surround 
themselves to the world that she has to offer. Um, and we strongly feel at this moment that we need her more than she needs us. And she's life's greatest teacher for us. And we've started to see her impact, even just in like our little neighborhood and our families and the difference she's made in mindsets, in inclusion, in empathy and understanding and love for others who are different. And so we've peeled back a little bit and, you know, a time, a time and a season for some things too, because there's definitely situations where we still have to be careful and we still have to protect her and we can't just let her go free and wild everywhere she wants to be or, um, you know, and that's come with age too. As she yes, was younger and age, and- she's, she's definitely mellowed out in some of her behaviors a little bit too. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that was kind of an aha moment this past year was why are we so worried about making sure people have a good experience? Yeah, like they have a good experience. Her. Yeah. yeah. It's, I'm like, that's, that's not our responsibility. Oh, that's but huge. If, as, if, as you were talking about having to be so methodical in your planning and going different places and like, again, just that you wanted people to have this, this good experience. Mm-hmm. I, the word that came to my mind was just pure exhaustion. Yeah. Like, and, and you don't need to reserve energy for that type of thinking either. Mm-hmm. Like that. I love that you said, that's not your responsibility. Like what a wonderful light bulb moment for mm-hmm. all, for all parents. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, we still are respectful. Absolutely. Um, there's definitely triggers for her. There's things that overwhelm her. And, you know, we're not just going to say, well, you know, like hopefully rule she, books out. Yeah. Rule <laughs> books are out. You know, we are still always protective of her. And, and of course we want everyone to have good interactions and Positive things interaction. with her too. But at the same time, we've, we've let a lot of expectations just go. That has been a really awesome lesson that we have learned along the way. And I think we will continue to learn along the way is quit putting expectations on us as parents, on Maeve and like my kids as a whole, because it's just exhausting. Exhausting. It really is. And I think the less we worry about having everything go exactly as planned, you know, trying to mold them into how, how they should act in this situation, or they shouldn't be doing this or wearing this or eating that, or the less we worry about that and just say like, nobody's perfect. And I love you anyways, you know, it's just, it's, it's liberating and it's a constant reminder. I'm not perfect at it, but I think just lowering those expectations and just sitting in those pockets and those moments that are just without expectation and you just let it ride it ride out and 
it just makes it so much easier. <laughs> it just sounds like a breath of fresh air. Like you even saying it, I'm like, I can breathe easier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's such a good, a good framework to kind of base your thoughts on with that. I love that. Well, Katie, you have said some pure gold here in this interview. And I just appreciate you opening up and sharing your story and your insights on that. Um, before we let you go today, though, we do have some rapid fire questions that we like to ask at the end of each interview. And this just helps us get to know you a little bit better. Um, what is your pump up song when you need motivation? Oh, Gosh, I'm always changing it up. <laughs> what is it today? I think, I think <laughs> right now I'm on a queen kick okay, and, I've, and I've been on a queen kick for a while. So I don't know. Don't stop me now. Maybe yeah, I love like it. Queen. I'm going to have to add it to my list. That's a great one. <laughs> I love it. I love that. That's wonderful. Okay. And then what is the best lesson that your parents gave you? Hmm. I think my dad was beautiful at carving out time for each of us kids. I remember growing up and he doted on us girls. I have a sister and two older brothers, but us girls, he would take on dates and do sweet things for and spend good quality time with. My mom is what the best description of her would be that she was the best cheerleader. She genuinely loved all of us kids, no matter what decisions we were making, um, you know, what we were doing in our life. She, she supported us hundred percent. And we knew that she was a safe space to come back to. Um, and my husband's parents, they are just a great example of patience and genuine love and have been such a beautiful asset that I'm so grateful that I'm part of the family. I so what wonderful lessons to learn. Oh, those are so great and such great things you can pass on to your kiddos. Okay. What is the craziest thing you've done out of desperation as a parent? <sighs> You're like so many. <laughs> <laughs> craziest thing. Oh, my mind just goes to all the times where we have had severe poop blowout moments <laughs> in the most inconvenient times. <laughs> so I don't know if I have like something specific, but man, when you are just far from home, <laughs> or you're without diaper and wipes. Um, you just, you get you make real, do. you get real creative in those moments. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> just leave it at that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just to be a fly on the wall. Oh man. Situations. And our last question is if you could go back in time, what parent hack would you give yourself permission to start doing without the fear of being shamed or feeling guilty? Hmm. I would just say like not to sweat the small stuff. Don't get caught up in the dishes in the sink, the laundry pile on the bed. Um, it's really hard to feel like you can't check off all the tasks day in and day out. 
And I think if I could go back, I would try harder to let that stuff go more often and just sit in the moments with your kids and really dive into their world and worry less about the frivolous things that in the long term aren't going to matter. So good. So good. Okay. I know you talked about other people being a great resource at when you were first experiencing the diagnosis. Is there a spot that people could connect with you um, through social media? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram where my handle is marvelous us all one word. Um, and that's probably the best spot to find me, honestly. I love that. That's so perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you all for listening. We're excited to have you continue to join us each week. We'll be back next Monday. This episode was brought to you by Clementine Kids. Check out our crib sheets, quilts, swaddles, and art prints at clementinekids.com and follow us on Instagram at clementinekids.